Very good. You are getting better at that, Hundchen. Don't put too much, yeah? You will stifle it. Why so quiet today? Just tired, I guess. Is that so? What? I know that face. Something is on your mind, Huntian. You do not have to tell me if you do not want to, yeah? It is up to you. It might not be so. The full moon is only a couple of days away. Ah. It's been getting worse, so I thought maybe I should tell you what I used to be called. Now, why would I need to know that name? You know why. Just in case you need to use it. You must know the story. Under the night sky's loneliest night, speaks the beast's truest name thrice. Stop there, Huntian. I am starting to think that it may be you who does not know the story. What do you mean? Come, sit by me, yeah? You have stoked the fire more than enough. I think you need a new story. You're not listening to me. This is serious. Oy, little one. Let me tell you the story, and if you still want to tell me afterwards, you can. All right? All right. Danke, Hundchen. Listen well. It was once that there was a village, far from here, on the edge of a forest. The trees there all rose so high that at night their topmost branches would glimmer with stardust from where they had scraped up against the sky. The village was a small place, the kind of place where everyone knew one another's faces better than they knew their own, and where secrets would never stay secret for long. In this little village was a tiny apothecary with a sign that was always askew and across from it a blacksmith's forge that was always choked with clouds of smoke. The apothecary's daughter and the blacksmith's apprentice were the best of friends and would spend every spare minute together, picking their way through the gnarled roots of the edge of the wood to hunt for mushrooms and sneaking up the church tower to ring the bell at odd hours. Get back here! <laughs> Quick! But... Even though they did everything together, the apothecary's daughter began to suspect that there was a secret her friend was keeping from her, and this hurt her, as she was always honest about everything. Ha! Did you see that? Fear, I am winning. Hello? Are you even looking? Hmm? I just beat your record, and you were not even paying attention. Oh, sorry. I was just thinking. I could tell. You were making the face. What face? There is no face. Yes, there is. You go all stirmish when you are thinking, as if there is a dark cloud raining only on you. I don't. Whatever you say, stirmish. <laughs> My turn. Yeah! What? How did you do that? <laughs> Still, the secret gnawed at the apothecary's daughter and at the blacksmith's apprentice. A secret can rot you from the inside out, like acid corrodes even the strongest of metals. One evening, as they were foraging at the edge of the woods, it finally came seeping out. I cannot show you. 
Why not? Because it isn't safe. I have no idea what would happen. I won't tell anyone. That's not what I'm worried about. Don't you trust me? <laughs> I don't trust anyone. Hmm. Wait! Scheiße! One evening, in the dead of winter, the pair ventured into the snow-stricken woods. The black eyes of the birch leered out at them as they passed, and through the trees peered the red pupil of the setting sun. The apothecary's daughter promised the blacksmith's apprentice that she had found something incredible a little ways off from their usual path. She led them deep into the trees, promising over and over that she wasn't taking them too far from the village, even as the candlelit windows began to vanish into the distance, like fireflies crushed in the night's icy fists. How much further? Do you know where we are? Not long now. No, I... No, I'm, I'm turning around. It was only as the shadows were beginning to swallow them up that the blacksmith's apprentice realized that the apothecary's daughter had set a trap. There isn't time. With a shout of alarm, the apprentice turned to run, but it was too late. The change was already beginning. It starts in the fingernails. Or at least, that was the first thing she noticed. The nails of one trembling hand trying in vain to pry her grip free, gnarling and lengthening into dark claws. Ever since she had learned the secret, the apothecary's daughter had imagined what it would be like to see it. Every day, when she had finished the endless work of washing herbs and chopping herbs and sealing herbs into little jars to be made into bitter tinctures, she would visit her friend at the workshop. It was always warm, for one thing, but it wasn't just that. She loved to watch the transformation, the way the molten metal glowed as it was poured and how it cooled into something new, fur bristling through the skin like iron filings, darkness pooling in the whites of the eyes like mercury. But in the noise of the forge, she hadn't thought of how it would sound. The crunch of vertebrae, the splinter of bone, the slick, tearing sound of overlarge fangs puncturing the gums, the panicked scream of her best friend, twisted to breaking. She startled back and watched and saw organs shrivel and swell and bulge through skin. And when she looked up into the face of her friend, Sturmish? The apothecary's daughter turned and fled. She could feel the breath of the creature, hot as the flames of the forge, air cold and black and tearing at her skin and lungs like frostbite. It was almost impossible to run in the hungry snow. The bank swallowed up her ankles, and she stumbled again and again, but was always quick to scramble to her feet, ice stinging her hands. In stories, people cannot feel pain when they are running from a monster. Fear is supposed to take over. But she felt every tear of thorns against her skin, every stabbing breath in her lungs. She was simply too terrified to stop. She ran until she reached the village and, slipping on the icy cobblestones, banged on the doors of houses as she passed, crying for help. Help! Help! Please, let me in! It was not until she reached the church house that she turned, back against the door, to face her pursuer. 
In the faint glow of the lanterns that hung from the eaves of the church, she could see better than she had in the forest. The beast's maw yawned, heaving breaths steaming in the night air. Its fur was matted and slick, from where Briar had whipped at its muzzle as it ran, iron ore red with rust. Please don't. You know me. And the beast did not lunge. The creature loomed, shadow doubled in the lamplight, and the girl felt her fear flicker like a weak flame in the winter wind. You... you know me. Stay back, beast! But the villagers had heard her cries and at last had come to her aid, brandishing kitchen knives and torches which plumed with flame and sights that glistened in the firelight. No, wait! But the villagers were already circling, slashing out with their weapons. Someone grabbed hold of her wrists and wrestled her away from the fight. A hot spray of blood misted her face, the metallic smell of it the roll of a wide, molten eye. And that was the last glimpse she caught before the church doors were closed. She kicked and writhed and bit against the hold on her, but she was exhausted from her flight through the forest, and the grip was too strong to break. She opened her mouth to scream, and something was slipped past her lips. It was only as she choked down the bitter tincture that she recognized her mother, the scent of herbs that clung to her clothes, the calluses of her fingers. But by then, the world around her was turning to smoke, and her head listed back. When she flinched awake, still clawing at her blanket, it felt like only moments had passed. But the dark of her room brushed up against her eyelids like black snakeskin, and as she fumbled for the tinderbox on her nightstand, she recognized the prickle of bitterness still clinging to her tongue. Stinking nightshade, an ugly flower with petals like char-blackened skin, cracked from heat, used to burn away pain or to crumble the consciousness to ashes. She had used it herself on poor Mr. Muller when his leg had been crushed by a wagon wheel to put him to sleep until the doctor could come. Her mother had sedated her, she realized, lighting a candle. A face loomed out from the dark, and she stiffened before she recognized her mother, who looked older, somehow, in the weak candlelight. She had dragged a chair to her daughter's bedside and fallen asleep watching over her, like she had used to when her little girl had caught a chill or had woken from a bad dream. The apothecary's daughter watched the rise and fall of her chest for a few moments before slipping out of her bed and sliding the shutter of her window open as quickly as she dared, as quietly as she could. The moon shone through the clouds, a pale face peering through a funeral veil, and it was lower in the skies than she had thought it might be. Her heart whizzed in her chest, rotted with the fear that she was too late, that the Hexenjäger had already come for Sturmish, just as he had two winters ago, when the stable hand had been caught with chalk dust on her hands that matched that of the strange circles that had appeared on the beekeeper's basement floor before he'd lost two colonies of bees, when the new workers hatched, deformed, missing legs, or wingless, or headless. But no, the Hexenjäger lived in the next town over, a few hours through the woods at least, longer at night, with the paths swallowed by the snowbanks. The bedroom window was too narrow to climb out of. There was nothing for it but to slip through the front door. 
The apothecary's daughter did not stop to look back at the room she'd grown up in, did not skim her fingers over the straw mattress or the carved wooden hound she kept on the windowsill. She did not even linger over her mother's sleeping face. She did not know then that she would not see it again. It was easy to pry up the hatch and climb down the ladder into the shop. Her mother had left the stinking nightshade out on the counter, in a gesture of carelessness that was unlike her. The small bottle lay in a shaft of moonlight, and the apothecary's daughter slipped it into her pocket, in case she needed a little, to ease pain. She snatched the woolen cloak that hung by the door and plunged out into the darkness. The cold was a blow to the face, but she did not reel back. The church was not far from her home, and from the doorway she could see the eerie glow of light from the stained glass windows, casting the snow a poisonous, spindleberry red. She made her way to the church, keeping low to the ground, and peered through the latticed glass, scrubbing the condensation away with her sleeve to see more clearly. Even through the red lens of the stained glass, she could make out the destruction. The wooden pews were cracked and splintered, and the saint in the fine tapestry that hung on the wall was defaced, eyes hidden behind a dark splash of scarlet. A figure was knelt at the altar, where every candle had been lit. Melted wax seeped to the floor in gory tendrils, and through the window this, too, looked blood red. As if sensing watchful eyes, the figure stood, and the apothecary's daughter was caught in the gaze of the village priest. Before she could think what to do, to run, to stay, the door swung open, and more light bled onto the snow. Who is there? It's, it's me. My child, what are you doing out in the snow? Come in, quickly. Where is your mother? Asleep? I... Where... Where did they... Perhaps. You are worried, yeah? Do not fret. The beast is on the lock and key, safe in the crypt. Still alive. Only until the Hexjäger comes with a silver blade, and it can be... disposed of. You should go home. Your mother will have an awful fright as she wakes up to find you gone. I will come and get you before the deed is done, so that you can see for yourself that... No, you, you cannot let them. It is no beast. That is the blacksmith's apprentice. Ostrid's little stray? It cannot be. It's my fault. We were walking in the woods together when I didn't know what to do, so I ran. I... What a pity. I know Ostrid was fonder the bengal. And no one was better with a hammer. But you can't. By morning, the change will be reversed. We do not even have to wait that long, not if I say the name. And what of next nightfall? And the next? Nine. All the more reason to put it down as quickly as possible, before the sickness spreads. I know you two are close, but there is nothing else for it, yeah? The apothecary's daughter caught her breath. You're... you're right. Braves mädchen. Ah, there will be the kettle. Would you like some tea? I can do it. Are you sure? Please. It will help to have something to do. Of course. You know where it is. 
the apothecary's daughter hurried through the doors that led to the church's little kitchen. Taking the kettle down from where it hung over the fire, she felt for the glass vial in her pocket and set it beside the wooden box of tea. The leaves, which she had crushed herself with pestle and mortar not a week before, painstakingly slowly, were bright as powdered gold in the firelight. Though she held the vial away from her face, the sick, fishy smell seeped into her throat, and she stifled a cough. <coughs> Stinking nightshade is a fickle drug, and she was frightened that she would use too much. She did not have her mother's tarnished scales, the ones that always listed just a little to the left, and she never thought she would miss them so much. But the seconds until sunrise bled like snowmelt through her fingers, so she shook a few petals into the palm of her hand. Here you are. Danke. The priest had taken a seat at one of the pews. There was no disguising the bitter taste, but though the priest's expression crumpled, the brew was swallowed down politely, and the young apothecary felt the acidic sting of triumph in her own throat, though she only pretended to sip from her own cup. In a matter of minutes, the room was filled with soft snores. Now, all that was left to do was take the key. It took a few moments for her eyes to adjust to the darkness of the crypt, but she could hear that something was down there with her. She could smell iron, sharp as icy air. The shapes resolved themselves, the shadows coagulating into a mass, and there was the creature, wrapped in chains. She could see blood matted in that thick, dark fur, those beautiful molten eyes wide with pain and fear, and she felt a sob building in her throat. Her fear dissolved as she rushed to her friend's side, burying her face in a heavy mantle of fur, surprised to find it soft and warm. <laughs> to get you out of here, yeah? Ikenna, Ikenna, I am going to change you back, and then you'll be able to slip these right off. Kinderlight. Under the night sky's luminous light, speaks the beast's truest name thrice. Let your voice command the beast to turn to its truest shape, it shall return. Her voice shaking, the apothecary's daughter spoke the name of the blacksmith's apprentice. The name she sought belonged to her best friend. The name she had heard called over the cacophony of the forge. The name that was written in the big book that sat on a plinth in the back of the church, so she could not read it. She spoke it as a chant, as fervent as any prayer, three times over, just as the story said. And nothing happened. Uh, I don't understand. Why isn't it working? Stamish? I don't... I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. 
It wasn't quite the truth. Her mind spun with possibilities. She could run home and see if she could make something caustic enough to eat away at the shackles. But what if she woke her mother? Or perhaps at the workshops there would be something she could use to chip away at the stones the chains were anchored to. But as she thought all this, she heard the sound of hooves. The Hexenjäger. They were out of time. She felt something cold and wet press against her hand and found her friend nosing at her gently, eyes flicking meaningfully towards the doorway. I'm not leaving you again. But if they find me down here with you, I won't have another chance. Reluctantly, she raised one huge paw to her lips and pressed a gentle kiss to it. I'll think of something. With that, she fled up the stairs of the crypt, dragging the heavy door closed behind her and locked the door. Turning the keys in the lock felt like twisting a knife through her own heart, but there was no time to ache. She ran and slipped the keys into the priest's pocket, just as the doors were thrown open. Where is it? What? The beast, you fool. Down in the crypt. Uh, You, girl, go ring the bell. We need everybody here for the execution. The young apothecary did not know what else to do but play along, so after a moment's hesitation, she nodded and ran up the staircase to the tower to ring the bell. It was difficult to pull the sick, heavy rope without help, and when the bells rang out, they sounded terrible and hollow. back downstairs, the door to the crypt stood open like a lidless casket, and the villagers were already beginning to arrive at the doors of the church. It seemed they had all been waiting for the bell to ring. As she pushed through the crowd, trying to reach the entrance to the crypt, the Hexenjäger emerged. Helped by a few from the village, one of the smiths and the hexed beekeeper, the blacksmith's apprentice was dragged out into the church. No, 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 no. The chains were fastened around the altar, and despite rising and wrenching, there was no hope of escape. The Hexenjäger watched the beast struggle for a moment before, satisfied the chains would hold, he stepped forward as if to give a sermon. Good people, what you see before you is a wolf in sheep's clothing. This beast walked among you for months, years, Gaining your trust, biding its time. Even as you sat in this very church, it sat beside you, hands pressed together in a mockery of prayer, waiting to taste your flesh torn to shreds on its teeth. You may think you knew it, but you were deceived. See it now for what it truly is, and witness its righteous extermination. The apothecary's daughter saw the Hexenjäger turn. She saw the silver blade slicing through the roiling candle smoke. And she spoke her friend's true name for the third time that night. She screamed it. Stannis! The blade struck the altar. There the creature had been lay a girl, her short hair matted with blood, her molten eyes wide, 
the Hexenjäger reeled back in surprise as the heavy manacles fell from her wrists and ankles, and seeing my chance, I slammed into him, sending him sprawling on the stone and snatched up his blade. Don't come any closer. The blacksmith's apprentice grabbed her free hand as the apothecary's daughter hefted her blade. She glimpsed the head blacksmith, Astrid, in the crowd, and her own mother pale-faced. For a moment, she thought they might step forward to defend their daughters, but they only watched, hollow-eyed. The silence seared like the cold metal of the hilt of her sword. And then, they were no longer the blacksmith's apprentice and the apothecary's daughter. Just two creatures in the village square who had stolen in from the woods. The girl with the silver sword stepped in front of her thunderstorm girl, without letting go of her hand. The Hexenjäger is right. You do not know her. And you do not know me. The Hexenjäger took a step towards them, face twisted with anger, and the young apothecary brandished the sword. Try to follow us, and I will see that you do. You will know all that we could do to you. It was silent. The Hexenjäger took a step back. Let's go. The crowd parted for them like trees in a greenway. They did not stop at the forge, at the apothecary, vanishing into the darkness of the woods as the pale light of dawn began to singe the horizon. No one in the village ever saw them again. There is little hope for two mere girls alone in the woods in winter, but they were young women, an apothecary and a she-wolf. There have been whispers in the years since of travelers who spotted a girl asleep against the fur of a wolf beside a campfire, or riding on her back as she surges through the silver birches, a silver sword strapped to her back. Oh, do you hear that? I'm home. Nutsi! <laughs> Hello, Hunchen. Good timing. We were just at the end of a story. There you are. I promised you you could stay up until Muti got home. Time for bed now. Oh, but I want to hear about hunting. I will tell you all about it first thing in the morning. Promise. Off you go. Okay, okay. Gute Nacht. Gute, Gute Nacht. You two had a busy night, hmm? You are one to talk. You're soaking wet. Did I bore you? No. Fine, a little. Yeah. <sighs> it's taught me late. Don't be sorry, my Sturmish. I know you well enough by now. Get out of those clothes and I'll fill up the bath. Tranthologies is a trans-anthology podcast distributed by the Listers Network and produced by Alex Abrahams. Of the Storm was written by Soren Brywood and directed by Ellen Plahessy and Soren Brywood. It was edited by Mary Newman. In today's episode, you heard the voices of Emma Johanna Purinen as Asana, J.R. Steele as Clove, M.J. Scott as Sturmish, Rowan von Hinchfen as The Priest, and Grace Rurker as The Hexenjäger. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you tune in tomorrow for Home by J.T. Jenkins. But until then, consider transforming into a werewolf and eating your own dead name.